He has his own podcast. What is it, y'all? Get my shit together. Welcome to the Getting My Act Together podcast for Tuesday, September 26, 2023. I hope you I hope you're well. I hope your week is off to a great start and I had a terrific weekend for the most part that I would like to tell you about because it was fun and entertaining. But I have to begin by discussing the passing of a a uh, former colleague of mine at the Laughing Skull Lounge, Ben Brown, who was found unresponsive Friday night. I believe he was 36 years old, and that is not enough. If you're a member of the Atlanta comedy scene in any capacity, you know the spirit of generosity that Ben brought to the Laughing Skull and the scene in general. He was relatively new stand-up, meaning less than eight years, let's say, five years, something like that. But he got comedy. Like he, he understood like what was good comedy and what was maybe passing for good comedy. Like he, he understood the, the, the code, the, the set of values that attends comedy, good comedy. And he was a big part of Laughing Skull Lounge. And he became a big part of Laughing Skull Lounge because he wanted to be a big part of Laughing Skull Lounge. He showed up. He worked hard. He helped people out. He went the extra mile. Which I feel are like work-related behaviors and attributes. But And they are. And they enabled his success there. You know, he almost single-handedly put on the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival last year. But all those, whatever I'm describing, professional behaviors, tactical attributes, getting shit done. They pale in comparison to like how warm and supportive. And this is not an everyday quality you see in stand-ups. Nice guy. Warm supportive of everyone and nice to you know and and always understood where he fit in i almost said always understood his place but it's where he fit in and what i what i'm thinking about when i say that is self-awareness and an understanding when you work for any business, probably, but when you work for a comedy club that so many people know and have for so long, and you're later to the game, you're going to meet all types of veteran comics who will see how you're going to carry it, see how you're going to handle it, 
And there can at times be a tension between the old guard back in my day and the newer people up in, in any comedy scene, but in a, in a comedy club. <clears throat> and he, he never, to my eye, mishandled that. You know, where there's sometimes newer people, they can get a little high on the hog or big for their britches, something like that. Or they can be too fearful and deferential and shrink away from, you know, people above them in the comedy hierarchy. And he always found the right way to fit in. I didn't you know, prepare my remarks for what I wanted to say about Benjamin Brown on this podcast. <clears throat> and frankly, I wanted to tell you about my weekend first. But when I started recording, it just felt obligated, or not obligated, it felt compelled, called to talk about Ben for a minute. That piece about being warm, supportive, and nice to everyone is really how I will forever remember him. Super helpful, positive, optimistic. These are not qualities you generally associate with stand-up comics. But he was all of those things. And among a pool of dark, cynical, at times embittered, sharp, cutting stand-up comics, it's nice to have that around. It was nice to have that around. All he did was want to make for a better show. A lot of people talk about that, doing, you know, whatever's best for the show. You hear me talk about it. You've heard me talk about it over the years. You know, if I have to blowtorch myself, if I have to go down in flames, if I have to roast so-and-so, it's just to make the show better or to, you know, satisfy my pettiness. <laughs> but he was always about what is best for the show. No one when we did What's Your Problem, no one cared more about getting people in that room than he did. I should say, no one did more to try to get people in that room than he did. Which is why the first few of them were smashing successes, especially the first one. Which if I could just bottle that. Zane Sharif hosting me hosting, Zane introducing, me hosting, LeVar Walker, Flo So Amazing, Nick Murphy. I mean, it was just, and Ben got it. He got it as soon as we pitched it to him. Said, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're thinking. And he'd always say, I want y'all to succeed. I want you to succeed. And that was just for us. <clears throat> for a novel What's Your Problem show that hadn't been done before. But Atlanta comics know this. You read the memorials that people have been posting, and 
he just was good and supportive, nice, warm, and supportive to everyone. And that's what people are talking about. And I think the reason Ben stood out to so many people is that he was that in that way he was being himself and didn't need to mimic characteristics of the scene that are less positive and nice warm and supportive and uh now he's not here anymore sucks it's it's really uh it's really unfortunate and candidly i don't think he and i left i don't think he and i had the smoothest exchange when I left Atlanta. Not for any like serious reason. We were just kind of like one night we had, like close to maybe even my last night, we had just like a little, got our wires crossed. Nothing significant. More probably, you know, misunderstanding and stubbornness. And I was, I was thinking about, that was the first thing that I, that came to mind when I heard of his passing. I was like, ah, shit. You know, he and I were not in the, in the best. Our relationship had been, I don't want to say stronger. It it was just, we we could have gone out on a better note when I left. Gone out now seems like the wrong way to say it. Exactly 50% of that was because I'm not always easy to deal with. Then, you know, my style doesn't work 100% of the time with 100% of the audience. You know that as well as anyone. You listen to the goddamn podcast. And 2,000 miles away from Atlanta... Candidly, I didn't think a lot of Ben Brown in the last six weeks. But there are also lots of other people that I didn't think about, so it wasn't for anything other than just out of sight, out of mind, is exactly what it was. Because he was a a colleague and a, a friend, certainly, but someone who I reliably saw once a week. And maybe would interact with one to three times a week. But when I learned of his passing, it caused me to note that he and I might not have been in the best place. Not best place, you know what I'm saying. It's like you just maybe got crossed up, got sideways for a minute with somebody. And then unfortunately, you never had a chance to talk to them. And like I said, it wasn't about money or a girl or a bag of diamonds or anything like that. It was just... Some petty, hard-headed bullshit backstage. Misunderstanding.
nothing, nothing major. I, in reflecting though, thought back about what a, just, just the positivity, which I'm sure didn't permeate every corner of his life, nor would it permeate any corner of any one of our lives. But when he was there, he was warm, nice, and supportive, positive, optimistic. But in reflecting and thinking about everything I knew about him, it was, imp it was impossible not to pull for him, to root for him, to wish him well. And we would always, you know, people would talk jokes with him and like, make suggestions and say, oh, this is what I learned about this, or you wanted him to be well. But the, the going back across what I know about the guy is he was just, he just wanted what was best for the show, and that would be dapping up somebody uh, on their way to a good set, clapping them up after their good set. Making sure that, you know, the loud mouth, you know, you know, if I'm hosting a night, he'd come up and say, hey, is the person too much, too little? And all the while knowing my answer 100% of the time is going to be, no, I love it. It's, I got it under control. But he was just being a pro, like, maybe he thought I was, I don't know, could have at the moment been too proud to say, yeah, dude, throw that guy out. Or I, I don't know what the case might have been. Tip your bartenders. Come back and see us. Check out the website. Comedy lost an ally. I'm 36 years old, man. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know how he passed. That probably was, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how he passed. I was going to, I was going to say probably, I mean, you're 36. It's, what, whatever makes nothing, any cause of death to a 36 year old, if that's how old he was, I was told he was around 36. Doesn't make any sense. So fill in the blank. He was, he was found at his apartment. And comedy lost an ally. And, and the takeaway, if you knew him, takeaway if you didn't know him, I suppose is to ensure you're living the life you want to be living before it goes. Because it obviously can go at any time. I don't know if I'm emotionally or mature enough or evolved enough to grab the grab the baton when people say, you know, death sucks, hug your loved ones, kiss your loved ones, that sort of thing, or whatever. When I say I'm not emotionally mature, sometimes I'll see those and feel like, I don't know, there's some people that I love that I'm not cool with at all times. 
So we just go squash every beast? And I guess the answer is yes. But I don't do that. I don't take that advice. It's like thoughts and prayers. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. And maybe, and that's probably on my end. Because what I imagine it really is, is people who've lost someone very close to them saying, fuck, I don't care how bad it might have gotten between us or whatever. I wish I had one more second with that person. And I'm, I've learned that through this horrific experience. So I'm trying to pass it on to you to save you from the utter heartbreak and emptiness that I feel at this person's departure. I think, and maybe it's getting older, I think what the passing of people means to me now is make sure you are doing what you want to be doing or maybe that's my challenge to do more of what I want to be doing. I don't know. I'm just I'm not trying to self-analyze. I'm just thinking of what death means now. That it can it can go at any time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, let the people that you love know you love them as frequently as possible. I do say I love you to people that I love that I don't see all the time. I don't say it every single time to people that I see all the time that I love. And that's probably what that advice is about. Ben was a stand-up comic who worked in his favorite place in the whole world, doing everything in his power to make that endeavor succeed. The show first, the laughing skull probably second. Something else he was that not every comic is. And, you know, being myself, I, find, I hear myself or sense myself drifting into an area where <laughs> I'm celebrating Ben by shitting on a host of other nameless comics. <laughs> but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, 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 my, my thoughts are specific to Ben. He also, when this is like I say, uncharacteristic of a lot of comics, he cared about everybody. Not just, hello, lady. I'm not listening to my own podcast. I'm recording one right now. What's going on? Making dinner? Would you like us to start? Do you want to say hello to the podcast? Yeah. Here, come over. Don't pull that, please. It's going to break. You want to say hi, listeners? Hi, listeners. And you want to tell them it's time for dinner? Okay. It's time for dinner. Okay. I'll be right there, friend. I'm not going to make this poetic here at the end, but I'm going to go do more of what makes me feel most like myself. I'm going to go have dinner with my wife and my daughter before going out to do stand-up comedy, something else that makes me feel most like being myself. 
But what I was going to say about Ben is he liked everybody. He supported everybody. He was nice to everybody. You know, that's, that's unusual, unfortunately. I got to go. They're all coming after me, the dogs, the women, <laughs> the Mongols. Blackstone Grill and receive 12 burgers and 12 francs free from Omaha Steaks. Seize this sizzling deal before it's gone. The Grilling Store at Hillcrest, Ace Hardware at 10th and University, or online at thegrillingstoresd.com. Customer responsible for a $19.99 shipping fee. Supplies limited. See store for juicy details. Carl's Jr.'s new Big Char Chili Burger is big on charbroil flavor. Big on spice with melted pepper jack cheese and spicy Santa Fe sauce. Big on smoky sweet heat with a whole fire-roasted charred Anaheim chili. And big on savings with the Big Char Chili Combo. Get the big, bold, smoky flavor of the new Carl's Jr. Big Char Chili Burger with small fries and drink for just $7.99. Tax not included for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Tony Gwynn Jr. here. Is this the year you finally go solar? I've been with HES Solar since 2019 and love the monthly savings and the power outage protection. Ask me or anyone who has solar. The only regret is they didn't do it sooner. HES Solar has been installing solar in San Diego since 2001. They are the hometown team. Stop stalling. Go to HES Solar and see your options. You'll be glad you did. And kick yourself for not doing it sooner. That's HESSolar.com. Goss Ford Escondido is fast building an incredible reputation. Mr. Jones told us that this was the best car buying experience I've ever had. These are their words, not ours. So why go anywhere else? Goss Ford Escondido, where we do things the easy way every day. This is Manny Machado from the San Diego Padres. The Padres play here on San Diego's number one sports station, 97.3, The Fan. The Wild Horses Festival with Zach Bryan on December 30th is sold out. The only way to secure your seats to the show now is by booking indoor suite at Petco Park. Reserve yours at Padres.com slash Wild Horses. Blake Snell going out for his fourth inning of work. He has a 1-0 lead to protect. J.D. Davis, the number four batter for the Giants, will lead things off. First pitch to him is swung on a miss, strike one. Welcome back to the Getting Mag Together podcast. That was just a brief interlude post-dinner, post-book. Read some Fancy Nancy tonight. Fancy Nancy and the, what was mine? Oh, Fancy Nancy and the Puppy School. Very exciting. Frenchie, her dog, fucking up and had to be sent away to boarding school to get her shit together. And she did. Ultimately, Nancy's parents, <laughs> I'm not going to take you... I'm, you know what I'm doing. I'm infringing on everyone's copyrights just by playing that little Padre ad thing. I'm sure that's against the law. And then talking about Fancy Nancy and giving away plot points. The law. Wait till I talk about the hunt for Red October. The Padres are still alive. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm just going to say that for some reason they have not been eliminated from postseason contention. And we're in the final week of September. It could happen in as it could happen tonight, I think, that they get eliminated. But they're not. They're still alive. They've won nine of their last ten games. And it's almost like when the season was seemingly over and their obituaries had been written, maybe all the pressure was off. Institutional disease articles were being written. Clubhouse chemistry. 
Did the team realize there's no pressure and they went out and played like the men they thought they could be? Nine and one, the Padres are. And tonight they're playing the Giants. And as the guy just said, they're leading one nothing. <clears throat> the connection to the Padres involves this weekend that just passed where my family and I, I'm going to say my family, <laughs> my wife, daughter, and I, two days in a row, went to the Adams Avenue Street Fair, which is, uh, if you saw my. Instagram stories of me going down that big potato sack slide is a, a fair that's been going on. It's for 41 years in the neighborhood of Normal Heights, and we used to love going to it, and we still love going to it, and we went both days, and on Saturday, we went and had a great time, just three of us. We saw some music. I saw this band called Yipsitucky, I think. Y-P-S-I-Tucky. T-U-C-K-Y. Some pretty good goddamn music and included a Pogues cover of If I Should Fall from from Grace with God. Really good time. Seeing, you know, just like in a, in a neighborhood like Normal Heights, which is killer. Streets blocked off. All of Adams are, you know, how many of her blocks on Adams Avenue? The big thoroughfare through... Uh, Kensington, Normal Heights, and parts of North Park was great. More, I don't know how many bands played. 50 bands played on the weekend. Food, carnival, rides. It's all free to get to, to go to it. There's nobody, nobody charges you anything. Everything else you get charged for, like ice cream cones that my daughter and I had. She'd never had a 50-50. We got a soft serve ice cream. 50-50. Half chocolate, half vanilla with sprinkles on top. <clears throat> so it was a really good time. And then on Sunday, we told, so like I mentioned before, we live in the city for the most part. We live in the city, uh, but my juggling instructor and then assorted family members live 25 minutes north of the city. And a great group of them came down on Sunday, like, let's go back to the Adams Avenue Street Fair. It's a blast. And they did, and that's where those uh, roller coaster rides were, um, were happening. And I was telling my brother, as we were watching children fly around in these carny-run carnival rides, it looks sketchy, to be honest with you. When you see the people, God bless them. It's, it's not just the, the people running them. But it's largely that. You know, it's not just that, but that's a big part of it. Not everybody, but it doesn't look the, the. When I think of jobs that people get when they get out of prison, the first one comes to mind is welding. Just because that's what I've been led to believe is a. And I want, I think people are over. We put too many people in prison. We put too many people in jail for dumb shit. The whole system is fucked and racist and all that. And I do not like the demonization of uh, criminals. Uh, or, you know, people... Sorry, I shouldn't say demonization of criminals. The demonization of people who've been locked up. And, at the same time, when, you know, there are like nightmare stories or like every movie is about the kid disappeared at the carnival, uh, 
you walk around a carnival or like the amusement park and you kind of like, oh, that's why somebody might sit down and write this <laughs> this story about a kid who goes missing from, it's just a squad that's doing their best to get by and they're getting a check on the day. and But parents are keeping a close eye on their kids is the best way to say it. Not yesterday and today or yesterday, Saturday and Sunday, at the Adams Avenue Street Fair because that crew was superlative, but you can see why people might want to keep their kids close in the carnival atmosphere. The street fair is different. Street fair, the carnival atmosphere is nested within the street fair. There's like this whole fenced-in area at an elementary school, coincidentally, where you go on the rides. And then it's like, oh shit, that's why you hear so many jokes about this part of the world which I just admittedly have not been in lately. But I was in for two days. And I also, I saw, so you, the, the people that work there, you're like, okay, you're doing your job. and but, but they're also, what am I trying to say? I'm just saying, like, you know, let's just do the exchange and we'll all move on. We're not... We're not going to come home and put on robes together, probably, on this night. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 inter it's an interaction. But every person we met who was manning the booths, manning the rides, I should say, was very nice to us. And they're like, do you think this is the way I fucking drew it up? I know it, standing out here in the blazing sun. And I'm like, I know you didn't draw this up. So I'm nice to all of them, like... How many, oh, how are you doing? Where are you all next week? Back in L.A., that sort of thing. How is, uh, how's the life? That sort of thing. Uh, thank you for letting me get on there and make sure my daughter's seatbelt is on on the merry-go-round. and etcha, etcha, etcha. The point is this. It's Southern California, which is not seemingly majority white people, right? And I have a real problem. No, I'm kidding. So it seems a that, that this is what I'm trying to get at. There's seemingly is largely Latinx, Hispanic, and then white people, and then some black people. But relative to the greater population, not that many. Certainly not as many as in Atlanta. Here's the point that I'm trying to make: is I have an old Padres T-shirt. You know those T-shirts you get at the baseball games, or usually at the baseball games, where it's like the player and his last name and the number on the back. It's like a jersey, except it's a t-shirt. I'm not explaining anything you haven't seen a million times in your life. And they're cool. Like you used to see guys in Atlanta wearing, you know, jerseys that had Jones with a number 10 on the back. Now you see Acuna and you used to see Freddie Freeman jerseys. Now, by the way, Atlantans, you see Freddie Freeman t-shirts, except it's uh, LA Dodgers. He's like the most popular L.A. Dodger out of nowhere, along with Mookie Betts. The Padres stars are all uh, Latinx, Hispanic descended. Uh, and Xander Bogarts, I think, is from Aruba, maybe. Some, I'm not exactly sure where he's from. But the Padres, big players, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and who am I missing? Oh, Fernando Tatis Jr. are Venezuelan, Dominican. I think 
Tatis's dad's Venezuelan, so he's Venezuelan, Dominican. The point is, those jerseys are the ones you see the most, especially at the street fair where everyone is repping San Diego. And, and I get it, and I did the same thing, and that's where the story is going. Or, so it's you see tons of Padre San Diego gear on. Usually it's Machado, Soto, or Tatis Jr. Tatis Jr., above all others, has the most representation, along with Tony Gwynn, my childhood baseball hero who passed, you know, five, six, seven years ago, who's also a black guy. So those are the predominant jerseys that you see, T-shirts. What I didn't realize is the old Padre shirt that I have kept in storage for, you know, stored in like a closet in my, in my house for 20 years is of the former manager, Bruce Bochy, who led the Padres to one of their two World Series appearances in 1998. I know, it takes you back a little bit. I liked Bochy because managers historically have been celebrated for being old baseball grinders, yelling, screaming, spitting, and kicking you in the balls. And he was just always just chill, even-keeled, clearly in charge, but never seemed like a bully, never seemed like, I don't know, I just really liked the way he did his thing. You know, maybe it was just my interest in, in leadership, I suppose, at an earlier age in my life. I'm like, I like the way Bochi does his thing. And they once made a Bochi t-shirt like you would have for Machado or Tatis Jr. or whoever else, except it was Bochi 15. And I got one. And here's how old it is. I think on the back of it, the sponsor is Pac Bell, Pacific Bell, which to my knowledge does not even fucking exist. And it's what San Francisco's baseball stadium used to be called. I like the Bochi. I have the Bochi t-shirt. I also have a Tony Gwynn t-shirt. And going way, way back, I have a Dave Winfield, 31. These are Padre legends. Bochi, Gwynn, and Winfield. But I was self-aware. So I so on Sunday when we went back, and I know I'm conflating two stories, but it's the same event. One, in the Kearney area, it's the people working. You're like, oh, that's that's right. The other thing is the rides themselves don't look all that secure. And all it could make me think, and this is what I was giving my brother shit about when we're watching children spin around on these things, is have you ever seen that movie Final Destination? Because <laughs> every time the ride starts up, that's what it feels like. The, one of them is just going to go flying off into a crowd of people and it's going to be bad. But fortunately, none of it happened this weekend when my daughter was on the rides. I have the Bochi jersey, Bochi t-shirt, I have the Gwyn t-shirt, and I have the Winfield t-shirt. For whatever reason, I said, I, I got, I said, I want to wear a Padres shirt to the street fair on the second day, just to rep San Diego. I'm back. It's where I'm from, more or less. It's, uh, and I, I just wanted to sort of rep. And I chose the Bochi 15 shirt over the Gwyn and Winfield shirt because, I don't know, it was the first one I saw, to be honest with you, in my little storage box that I shipped across the country. It was a fascinating story about T-shirts. Well, in the history of the San Diego Padres. 
and Final Destination, which is, do I need to watch those movies again? I only have so much time left. So I, when I say watch those movies again, I mean I saw part of the first one. I get to the street fair, and what I'm aware of, <clears throat> not immediately, but after a while looking around and just being, just being who I am, is there are all these people representing La Raza who are showing out Soto, Machado, Tatis Jr. jerseys, Gwyn jerseys, who are perfectly of the SoCal culture, San Diego culture. And then I am costumed as the white guy who's telling everybody what to do. And I was just like, something struck me just as so ridiculous. Everybody younger, hipper, browner than I am. And I show up with the, the shirt of the guy who tells them all what to do, who might be close to 70 years old right now, for all I know. That's who I'm repping. Like, that's what's important to me. <laughs> and it just, it made me chuckle. Like, this is, this, this is us. This is me. <laughs> I would have had more credibility with Gwyn, with Winfield. Um, and I'm never going to get one of the young guys because I'm too old now. I acquired those shirts when I was a younger man, and I'm too old to wear it. I'm too old to wear a shirt with another man's name on my back, except for if I'm going to Adam's Avenue Street Fair. And I just thought about how ridiculous that was. Like, I'm, <laughs> you guys don't, let's try not to, you know, whatever Bochi's telling them to do, not steal. It's not a good look. The jersey, the shirt thing struck me as interesting. The other thing that happened while we were at the street fair is on Saturday, there was a juggling mime. I'll let you catch your breath. There was a juggling mime. I don't know what you call them in the line of work that they are. But he's one of those guys that like, he's not just like a mime with the black pants and the you know, silly makeup with the hands out in front. He was like a, he's painted white and then maybe sitting up like on a thing or he's on stilts, but he's juggling. He doesn't talk, but then he like freezes. You know these guys? They're a crew, street performers. They don't say anything. They apparently are allowed to be within, you know, touching distance of children and they juggle and then they freeze and then they do silly things like oh I dropped my hat and there's a fucking bird that flew out of it or whatever it is and my daughter because she's only four and a half she still has moments where and this is just what they do they can't discern fantasy or reality from um What's not real, so they they kind of in, they have magical thinking, I think how you describe it, or what it's called. So they just don't know reality all the time. So my daughter lives in reality. She knows these are my parents. These are my dogs. This is my house. 
But because she's only four and a half, there will be times where I could say to her, like, <clears throat> like I said this week, my God, girl, your feet are getting so big. It's so cool to see your kid grow. My God, girl, your legs are getting long. Look at these big feet. I might take one of these. I might take these off and use them if I have to go skiing. And like she'll have a laugh at that idea. It's like she knows it's kind of silly. But she'll also, in a moment like that, could say, Dada, you're kidding, right? You're kidding when you said you were going to take my feet off. I was like, yeah, I'm kidding, girl. Of course, I'm not going to take them off. So, or she's a fucking box of rocks and doesn't know I'm not going to take your feet off, girl. Now am I going to get them back on? But so, but it's really magical thinking. She can't quite differentiate reality. Uh, not all the time, right? Something like that. Is he going to really take my feet off? No, that can't happen. So that sets up what's real, what's not. And real, that's what she wants to know. Is that real? Are you real? Is this whole experience real? We come across this juggling mime, just the two of us. My wife, we left to see a band, watch a band or something. And my daughter and I were walking probably back to the, to the, um, I don't know, we're, we're just walking around street fair. And we come across this guy and my daughter says, loud enough for a couple of people at, at a street fair, by the way, for a couple of people around us to hear. She said, Dada, is he a real man? And what she wants to know is not like, you know, how's he hung? She wants to know if that is not a animatronic or machine person. That's what she wants to know. But she said, is that a real man? Is he a real man? <laughs> and I had to laugh out loud when she said it. Because I was like, well, yes. I mean, he is. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, listener, you know what I'm saying. But with her, I was just like, he is. And then I just told my, and then I told my wife immediately after, I'm like, she just asked me if that guy juggling was a real man. My wife raised her eyebrows. <laughs> I was like, what? He is just putting himself out there trying to entertain strangers. But I, if you have to ask, like, is he a real man? You know, who am I to say? I do. I'm doing the same thing. I'm putting myself out there to entertain strangers. It was very amusing to me. I was like, well, he is, but it's, you know, it's not binary, right? <laughs> he, he, he's a mime and a juggler. And I got a big kick out of that. Kids do say the darndest things. The writing exercise I will tell you about that I undertook when I came back from the street fair on Sunday night was everybody goes to bed. I go downstairs. I put on pavement. That's right. I'll date myself. I'll date myself. I date myself with everything I fucking say, including the word muck. I put on pavement. The first two records, the, the, you know, the first two records I heard, slanted and enchanted and crooked rain, crooked rain, made it through both of them and wrote jokes for however long that is an hour and a half and I think I got some good stuff out of it well why didn't you do any of it on the podcast well I, I might I'm, I'm, I might have I might get a little something out of that my daughter's saying is, you know, is, he, a, is he a real man the mind I can't 
kind of is. Uh, it was a good time. All right, I have to run. Please spare a thought for Ben Benjamin Brown and the the hole that his departure leaves in Atlanta comedy and the laughing the laughing skull lounge. Uh, operationally, of course, but more important, spiritually. And uh, I will talk to you on Friday.